I'm Veronica Belmont. And I'm John Merritt. And Sword and Laser is a book club, but it is so, so much more. Uh, we bring you author interviews, we bring you news from the world of science fiction and fantasy, and of course, awesome discussions from fans like you. Welcome to our first author interview brought to you by you. Our show is currently entirely funded by our patrons at patreon.com slash swordlaser. Uh, so thank you to all the folks who have backed us. Uh, if you would like to support the show, check out patreon.com slash swordandlaser. And, of course, today we are interviewing the very fabulous Delilah S. Dawson. And thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited. Yay. Now, can you give our, our viewers and readers a little bit of a rundown about your career, your books, everything you've worked on now, your entire life history so far, essentially? <laughs> well, is what we're actually, I just realized the first book I ever wrote is, is on my parents' shelf here. So, um, no kidding. Yeah, yeah this, is, this is A Jungle and Its Life. <laughs> um, That's great. Yeah, so this is, this is, no one's ever seen this before, but yeah, this is my early work. Um, Illustrated. Harriet, it did not get an agent. No. Um, Sorry. Yeah, so I'm Delilah S. Dawson. Uh, my first book came out in 2012. It's called Wicked as They Come, and uh, it was written as a fantasy adventure and somehow became a fantasy steampunk romance. So um, I had to learn how to write sex scenes, which was different. Uh, that series contains uh, three actual paperback books, which are Wicked As They Come, Wicked As She Wants, and the third one, Wicked After Midnight, which came out this year, as well as four e-novellas and um, a short story in the Carney Punk anthology. If you're if you're into creepy carnies, we've got you covered. And then this August, I had my first YA and my first hardcover, Servants of the Storm which is a southern gothic horror set in Savannah, Georgia with like demon basset hounds and abandoned amusement parks and general October type creepiness. And then wow. next April I have a book called Hit that's um, out about teen assassins in a bank owned America that was based on a South Park episode. Wait, okay. I, was, I had another question but now I need to follow up on that. T tell me more about that concept. Um, okay, well, we all know about this human centipede. Mm. And South Park did a show called The Human Sent iPad, where if you agreed to the terms of service on your iPad, they could turn you into a human centipede. And that's what happened to the characters. They ended up taped to someone's butthole. And so I was watching that, and I was like, oh, my God, you idiots with your technology. The next day, my iPod was like, you have to agree to the terms of service. And I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> Either I say yes, or I lose all of my music and my device and all of my photos and everything, and there's no choice, there's no decide later, opt out, save my stuff, like you either agree then or you lose everything you own. And I agreed, and I was like, oh my god, like, it, someone, they could hide anything in a credit card agreement these days, and you might not see it, you know, instead of saying like, you know, this, um, this agreement can be terminated at any time, what if it said, you know, this user may be terminated at any time, and we'd be like, yes, I need the credits. So basically, in this book, uh, if you're a debtor, the, the, once the bank buys America, um, they can legally kill you. Wow. And do people know that that's in the terms of service, or are they just kind of glossing over that like everyone else does? Nope. They have, they have no idea. It's basically like, you know, you see Hunger Games, and you're like, how did that happen? So this is like the first day of it when they give teens a list of names and say, okay, you either have to turn these people into bounty hunters or kill them. So this girl has to go kill people. Oh, oh my gosh. I love that. I love that because that's something we all do. And I think South Park really did a very good job like of kind of... Are friends or agree to terms of service? 
<laughs> agree to terms of service without reading them very closely. That's what I mean. And so I, I think it's fun to kind of take that to the next level. Um, well, though, to say take it to the next level, they had kind of already taken it to the most horrifying level. Uh, but this is also a pretty scary proposition. Um, now, I wanted to kick things off, too, by saying that my other book club, Vaginal Fantasy, is reading Wicked As They Come right now. And we're really excited about that. It was a huge fan favorite. Um, but I have to ask. How many sexy times are in store for me? Because we've been a little low on the sexy times in vaginal fantasy recently, and and I'm just curious if you can give me a little glimpse into what I should be expecting. Okay, um, in Wicked as They Come, there are two and a half. Um, you know, I guess in, in romance, uh, if you if you're in there at all, you recognize it. Uh, Tish is very much not a love at first sight type, so you have to wait a while. Um, I'll just say that I usually, when adults ask if teens can read it, I'm like, yeah, it's totally readable, but once you see the word submarine, slow down and take the book away. Um, <laughs> so there's there's two and a half scenes, but um, I'm always careful to tell people, like, it didn't start out as a romance, it's got an actual story there, but uh, I'm a rape victim, and consent is very important to me. So uh, if these are books that should fall into the hands of a teen, um, you're going to see a healthy relationship with consent where safety is discussed. So it's coming, it's hot, and, and you'll recognize it probably by the submarine and uh, the consent. Wow. So that's, yeah, that's something I had no idea about. So, uh, you know, it's interesting because a lot of times on Vaginal Fantasy, and I, I don't want to take over the Sword and Laser interview by, by digging into that group too much, um, but we often talk about characters, you know, things, scenes becoming a little too rapey. And we use that term lightly, though. It's really not something that should be taken lightly. And, you know, there's a lot of trigger warnings in a lot of the books that we have to mention to people in our audience before we start reading a story. So it, it's, it's, you know, coming from that perspective, I feel like you're obviously a lot more aware of that kind of stuff than perhaps other authors might be. Well, you know, um, I remember listening in to uh, Vaginal Fantasy when y'all were doing Mel Jean Brooks' uh, Iron Duke, which I really liked it. I, I named my car the Iron Duke, and I love Mel Jean. But I remember that was uh, the listener, the reader's co biggest complaint was that there was a scene where she clearly said no, and he ignored that. And uh, after listening to people, I kind of reread it and was like, ooh, yeah, that's, it's, it rides the line. It's a it's a difficult topic uh, for people to treat in fiction because it, as you know, something that that is real in the world. How how do you treat that in a way that could acknowledge that, uh, and yet make sure that the reader understands that you're not, you know, ignoring uh, the impact of it. I think for me it's important that a sex scene moves the book forward and that it changes the characters somehow. Um, otherwise, it's kind of a, a dead end or or just a a glossy show you put in the window, so I think it should be important to the storyline and the characters, but afterwards, if the characters discuss it, if there comes up a point where the woman says to the man, you know, look, you know, you, you hurt me, and then they have a discussion, like, I, I think that things can be talked out, and it also, I've seen some people put, like, warnings at the beginning of their book, uh, but, you know, like, like in real life, talking things out can uh, heal wounds that would otherwise get pretty egregious. Yeah, that's really good. That's really good advice. Uh, so your other series, uh, the the Blood series, uh, has vampires, and I would imagine that every writer who includes a vampire must face a lore moment where they decide what vampiric traits are going to apply. Uh, how did you come to the decision about your vampires? Well, I was watching a lot of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, and I had this dream where I woke up naked on a slab of rock, and this dude who looked like an extra naughty Mr. Darcy was standing there, and he started talking, and Spike's voice was coming out of his mouth. And so I wrote the book to keep hanging out with him. 
Um, but I knew from the start, I, I thought in my dream like he was a vampire, but I didn't want to do the, the undead, the, the sparkle, the, the church, the garlic. Uh, so I just made an alternate world where some of the people drink blood. They're straight-up predators. Um, and to dovetail with that, instead of making the vampires the colons, you know, the, the super rich, powerful, awesome people, I was like, well, what if the human beings were very defensive and uh, built the world to defend themselves from the blood men, the guys with teeth who are alive, they just drink blood, and then it was like, oh my god, what if the rabbits and the horses and the deer and every other prey animal drink blood? So it became less a book about vampires and more about, hey, these people drink blood and so does everybody else, and that's why you're in a submarine or a dirigible living in, you know, a a town that's all walls because you're terrified of these dudes. So, um, yeah, they kind of they kind of veered off from vampire, but they they kept the fangs and the sexy. Well, it did kind of you know when I when I started reading the book, I'm I'm still only about 25% of the way through at this point, but it's really made me look at animals in a different way, and I definitely got a little bummed out where very early on they're like, well, there's not really any dogs and cats anymore because all the blood rats got to them and kind of like snuck up on them and drained them dry, and I was like, oh, this world sounds terrible. All the cutest things like the bunnies and the and the adorable animals of the forest they all just want to drink your blood they want to kill you they want to and then you know eventually move on to eating your flesh or whatever next happens so it's uh, thank you for that um, well, see, here's the thing though I fixed that later one of the e-novellas is called the peculiar pets of Miss Pleasance and it's about a girl in London who runs like a very rare pet shop and like so she has puppies and kittens but like you gotta have them had bank for it so they're there they're just very uh, very special, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I had that same thing. I was like, oh my god, it's a world without kittens. Why do you even want to live there? Oh, man. You know, I would still probably have a, a pet blood kitten. You know, I would keep it, you know, at arm's length most of the time, but I would I would still, that would still be pretty adorable. You know, my, I already feel like my cat wants to kill me now, um, so yeah, at least if we got it, not. yeah, if we got the term straight and was like, okay, you do actually really want to kill me, our relationship, I think, would be better. There'd be a trust, or at least it's an like understanding. Like having a pet tiger. Yeah. <laughs> Not There's that I have one. There. A refreshing cat odyssey. <laughs> All right, let's jump into our viewer questions. Uh, this first one's from Anja, who says, uh, Miss Dawson wrote an interesting take. We're in a world of blood, vampires, and humans. Despite being prey, humans take the role of oppressors. What was her thought process in creating this dichotomy, and was there a message behind that? Uh, and I guess the usual paranormal romance question is, what came first, the world or the main protagonist in the romance? Now, I guess, obviously, it was the main protagonist, and also that initial scene because that came from your dream, which I think is fantastic. But yeah, what about this dichotomy about the humans being the oppressors over what we typically think as being, you know, elevated, stronger humanity in vampires? It, it started from that uh, that small kernel wanting Crimini uh, to be a, a a blood drinker and to have them be more oppressed, uh, and that also made his caravan kind of a, a nice outlet for his defiance and where he's something different. Um, but a lot of it had to do with, uh, this was, I think, the third book I ever wrote. I didn't write a book until I was 32. I'm pretty new at this. And um, I wanted to ask some questions that I wasn't ready to ask as a writer. Um, I wasn't really ready to deal with uh, prejudice in a racially charged way, and it almost became a, uh, a, a discussion of race through two different species where um, in that world they don't really care what color you are, they care if you're a human or, or a blood drinker. Um, I've gotten a little bit more bold with that, especially in Servants of the Storm with a mixed race protagonist. But uh, I grew up in the Deep South where uh, people who are different are, especially 
I live in, I'm in my, my parents' house in a, our small town where I grew up. Um, white people can still have some pretty damaging and painful thoughts about people who aren't white, and uh, I've always hated that. So part of it was that defiance of, um, hey guys, different isn't horrible, um, but uh, it also was just kind of trying to turn the vampire thing on its head and do something different that I hadn't seen done before. I, I haven't seen vampires ghettoized before. Yeah, you definitely always see the vampires in the power position, so it it seems like a challenge to try to turn that tide and put them in the in the other position. Yeah, it was fun though. I mean, it was um, it was fun to have that first character be someone who's already been like, screw this, and he's just out of that whole system and, and working on his own. So I kind of uh, created the problem and escaped from it. Amanda wants to know how did Ms. Dawson learn about steampunk? Why did she decide to write with a steampunk flair? Uh, I'd seen some of the pictures online, which I've since come to learn most of them originated with uh, Brute Force Studio with Thomas Williford and Sarah Hunter are some of the most famous pieces you've seen, the arm from Castle, and uh, she's got a steampunk outfit that's everywhere. So I like the aesthetic a lot and the, the bespoke nature of it. You know, I, I love fountain pens and brass and shined wood more than um, you know mass-produced plastic, I guess. But it just became a very nice answer to, well, if people can't ride horses because the horses want to kill them, but we're not quite, um, I, I wanted to write kind of the Victorian period, uh, became a nice way to say, okay, well, if you didn't have horses, you would have come up with horseless carriages earlier. Uh, if the bloodmen are allergic to seawater, you would have to come up with dirigibles to get them between the continents. And so uh, it became an answer to things. And also, if there aren't a lot of pet animals, then you get these same people who are building your uh, transportation devices to make your, your clockwork monkey, your clockwork bird, your snake that looks like a bracelet but becomes, you know, a, a tripod. So it was kind of an elegant answer to the, the problem I built. And it also gave me an excuse to buy corsets and cosplay. Yeah, it was that, interesting. That too. last alone would probably be good enough reason. Absolutely, right yeah. I mean, I, I kind of had forgotten about the steampunk elements um, in, in, the, in this particular book that I'm reading uh, until we had the... Uh, I always forget how to say the name of the monkeys. Capuchin? Cap, 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 capuchin, I think. Capuchin? Capuchin? The little electronic, or not electronic, but steampunk capuchin monkey. I was like, oh, yes, that is awesome. I would definitely like one of those for myself. Uh, Luis goes on to ask, is there a different approach for you when writing YA horror as opposed to steampunk blood romance, or is it more or less the same? Uh, I think it's all got kind of the dark whimsy that seems to define my work, hence the name of my website, Whimsy Dark, because grim dark just gets kind of grim. Um, but the way I found to change things is by making a playlist for each book. So like on Spotify, if you look up Lila S. Dawson, you can see each book in the playlist. Um, I kind of behaviorally condition myself to be in the world when I'm hearing the playlist. Uh, so the all of the Wicked books, um, most of them have uh, very... There's cabaret music, there's um, the kind of thing, like uh, the last one, Wicked After Midnight, like it's a lot of Moulin Rouge, it's basically Moulin Rouge with vampires. So as long as I'm hearing that music, I'm in that world. Servants of the Storm was written to uh, a band called Saturnalia by the Gutter Twins, and it's you listen to it and it's just this, it just feels like a tornado devastating a city and tearing down the rocks. So um, I think it has to do with, with the music and being in the mood and with what the idea lends itself best to. I love this idea, and th this is becoming a more common thing, and maybe it's because we have the ability to share playlists out there easier, but having a playlist to go 
with a book. Now, it sounds like you don't necessarily make the music period specific. I know we're dealing with an alternate sang, not not earth, uh, but just mood specific. Is that right? Yeah, um, the first book was uh, the Wicked As They Come is the first book I did this with. Um, I got kind of really involved with this album called Like Vines by The Hush Sound. And if you listen to that album, it's very clear that I listened to it a lot while I was writing. There are little snippets from the songs in there. There's a song called The Ghost in the Lighthouse. Um, there's a song called Sweet Tangerine, which is what Criminy calls Tish. But uh, it became really intertwined with it and became a really nice tool. So, yeah, it's more a, the feeling and the sense than, than the time. I love that. Uh, Tamahome has a question. You seem funny, says Tamahome. 25 humpalicious steps for writing your first sex scene, for instance. Uh, do you write any funny books? Funny is really hard, y'all. Oh, my God. Funny is super hard. Um, I actually I have kind of a sense of gallows humor, and my agent kind of has to go through and be like, yeah, they wouldn't be joking right now. And I'm like, yeah, they would. They would mm. totally be joking. I mean, there's... My favorite line in Servants of the Storm, which I think at one point someone tried to cut, and I was like, no, it's, this lives forever, is I just turned to the other guy and was like, dude, you boinked a demon. You can't take that seriously. Demon boinking. Um, so I, I try to put some in there, but uh, I, I think humor, if humor hits you wrong, you kind of, it, it's like it, it, it's, the damage is exponential. You're not just like, oh, that was a not funny joke. You're like, oh, this book is kind of stupid, and I don't trust the writer, so I, I definitely let my agents and editors let me know what they think works, and I'm not real precious about cutting things that are me being like, oh, I'm so funny, and they're like, yeah, you're really <laughs> cracking <bad."> yourself up. <laughs> All right, so our next question, I'm not sure, I, I will tell you the truth, if this is an inside joke or just a personal inside joke for the, uh, the author writing the question. Yeah, Boot okay. asks, how many pairs of boots should a writer just starting out have on hand or foot? Yep. Um, you know, when I started writing, I had one pair. You can go onto the blog that I kept, like, in 2007, and you can see me in my first pair of cowboy boots, and I'm like, this is the best thing ever! So, yeah, I, I like to celebrate when I sell a book. I'll buy myself a pair of cowboy boots. But um, if, if you have one pair of boots that makes you feel awesome, like, that's all it takes. Okay, so I feel like that worked for him on a personal level because his username is boot and also worked for you because you do actually have a boot buying process. So I feel better. I, I feel like that was boot buying problem is what it is. <laughs> <laughs> You're saying there's no limit on the number of pairs of boots, but the only lower limit is one pair. Dude, I think I think every I mean it's no Everyone up. should try finding a pair of boots that makes them feel fabulous. When I was younger, I used to be like, oh, I don't want to be too ostentatious. Now I'm like, blue with red flowers? Yeah. Boots. I feel like red thing I, I wear that like Marceline's boots that are like my favorites. Yeah, we have like a one-in-one-out rule for, for shoes in the house, or at least we're supposed to. Yeah. And I feel like, well, if I start writing more or if I take on a new project, I feel like every time I should get a new pair of boots, you know, to get the creative juices flowing. I fully support that. Boots. Okay. I write better in boots. I am against BRM, boot restriction management. <laughs> uh, Louise... It's almost as bad as DRM. <laughs> it's almost. Oh, it might be worse. I don't know. Uh, Louise asks, what is your relationship with IKEA furniture like now, specifically the putting together of? Oh, my God. After that giant wolf spider jumped out of the dresser, I think I'm probably done with it forever. Oh my God. Like, yeah, the thing's on my Instagram. It's like, I'm, like, putting together the dresser, and this thing pops out, and I was like, nope, burn it. Burn the house. Like a new IKEA piece of furniture? Like it was in there? 
uh, I don't, it's like, I, yeah, I was putting together one of those dressers that comes in three boxes and takes two days, and you have to, like, number the, all the little screws and stuff, and I'm sure at some point, like, it came from, I live in the mountains, I'm sure it came from my house, but, like, it walked out of the box, and, uh, yeah, I didn't, and, you know, you're sitting there holding the hammer, and you're going, if I kill this, then the cream cheese is going to splatter all over my <laughs> house, and I'm going to be, like, getting the bleach, so, yeah. That was, that was not a good scene. Thank you for reminding me. Spiders. Oh, way to go, Luis. Yeah, I, um, spiders I, have become a theme on the show recently. It's yes! I have two spiders living in my backyard right now, uh, Cookie and Shelob, um, and I believe that they are uh, European garden spiders. Uh, I only know this because I posted pictures of them on Reddit, and Reddit told me the answer to the question, as Reddit often does. Everything. Um, and I tried to feed them ahi tuna the other day, um, but it kept falling through their webs. I will admit that I threw another spider, a smaller spider, into Shelob's web, and I think that lasted her a couple of days, and then I felt like... Was that I, a hobbit spider? Well, Shelob is the hobbit spider, but also the spider in my backyard. Mm -hmm. uh, but I threw another smaller spider that I... That's what I mean, like the, the spider you threw, was that a hobbit spider? <laughs> No, it was not a hobbit spider. It was actually kind of Aragog and then the daddy Aragog. Exactly. I yeah. felt like I felt like this weird sick sense of power afterwards, like almost godlike power that I had sacrificed a spider to another spider. It was not not healthy. But this is not the spider about me. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> the Two spider spider enter. world. Um, so Tom and I actually, I, we have both worked for tech companies in the past. Uh, we met actually working at CNET, uh, reviewing tech products and talking about tech news. And I noticed on your website that you also do reviews for coolmomtech.com. Um, so how did you get involved with that, and, and, and what cool products have you played with recently? Uh, in like 2009 or 2010, I had little children, and all I did was hang out with moms and online. And uh, I, there was only one other mom at my... Uh, at my, my kids' church preschool that um, was, was a weirdo geek. And so we started hanging out, and one day she showed up, and her kid was wearing these crazy, awesome, like, boot shoes. And I was like, oh, my God, where do you even get those? And she's like, oh, I'm a reviewer for Cool Mall Picks. And I was like, can I have their email? Because I would like to review for them, please. Um, so I've been writing for them since 2010. I'm an associate editor now. Um, it's a great site for finding new things for... Uh, Pregnancy, motherhood, and grown uphood. Um, I actually, that was the first time. I still had a flip phone a couple years ago, and I had to try out a new Galaxy. Um, and I took it to Dragon Con, and it was my first time having a camera phone. And it, 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 I had like a religious experience in the dealer room. I was like, oh my god, this is amazing. Um, I, I have been uh, trying out a lot of skincare for them, actually, lately. I've become the skincare person. So I've probably done uh, more, than, more of that than the, the tech. They usually send me. Although I did, I did, um, did do a. We do a lot of the apps from Tokoboko, which are great for kids. Um, my son had his tonsils out recently, and he was freaking out. And I'm like, iPad, and like he was like, boom. So um, it's nice because like the, the stuff they try out, like you you know you can trust it afterwards. It's not you know sometimes you download an app thinking it's quite innocent, and then suddenly your kid's like playing uh, you know Russian roulette or something. It's, it's scary, so. And all the family savings are down the drain somehow because yeah, it was to, like your PayPal account. Time. You can't read. That's not cool. Yeah. Uh, Alex wants to, well, he notes that you have some moments of brilliance on Twitter where you rant about writing, publishing, and everything in between. These are seriously the best. Have you ever thought of putting out a nonfiction book on writing, or will you keep them as tweets and blog posts only? 
you know, I, I asked my agent about this once, and she was like, well, you can't sell it because you've already, you're giving it away for free. Like, you can't, this is, you can't sell, the, and, I, and I was like, okay, maybe, maybe not to the big six, but um, I've been using Storify to store those tweets. Like, I'll tweet on a topic all day, whether it's like editing your first draft, or how to query an agent, or here's how to murder your adverbs. Uh, so I'll tweet about it all day, Storify it, and put it on the blog, and I'm getting a pretty decent collection. So definitely, once I have enough, I'd probably, I'm thinking about, you know, like doing a, Self-published, you know, writing in 140 characters, sort of thing, for like 99 cents. That I'll put out. Yeah, that'd be cool. You know, Steve Martin put out a book of all of his tweets. Tons of people have done that. Tons of people. Yeah, My that's. When did give some of the best advice on on the internet? So I'm just basically going to do whatever he does and copy that. <laughs> Don't let it go to your head, Chuck. <laughs> All right, and uh, we mentioned your website a couple of times, uh, whimsydark.com. So you, you kind of explained what, what that's all about, uh, but what, what do you primarily use your website for? Is it self-promotion? Do you do you do blog posts? What, what is it all about? Um, I recently redid it for, uh, with Squarespace. Before that, I'd been on Blogspot, and it, I, it's almost like it had become my diary. I started blogging in, like, 2007 when I had small children and no outlet for creativity. I wasn't writing. I had no friends. I was basically, like, trapped under these, like, large maggots. So um, I didn't want to kill my old website, but it definitely didn't represent who I am as a writer. Like the team found that and they were like, oh, what are what are Galactica cookies? Oh my god, she made she made cookies to help her make more milk. That's disgusting. So I killed the old blog and started this new one and was like, we're just gonna keep this clean. Um, so it's mainly information on my different books uh, and on like short stories. I've written some comics. Uh, I have some geek erotica I've written under a pseudonym. But it's a place where I can put all of those things. Uh, and then I storify the tweets, and so there's lots of writing advice lately. And then if I'm going to an event um, or getting involved in something, I put it on there. But I try to keep it. Uh, I don't know. I, I, a lot of the blogs I've seen have jumped the shark, and I don't want to do that. So I try only to put up things that are are relevant to people who would go there. I, and I like what you said about taking a break from grim dark. We all go through grim periods. We've gone through the grim dark period. It's time for some whimsy dark. I like that. Yeah, just don't tell Joe Abercrombie we said that, because he'll... I think you should pull Joe Abercrombie into Whimsy Dark. Well, no, that's that's where I got it. Um, I think that, that uh, Joe and Sam Sykes and, and Mark Lawrence or something were like, we're all making fun of Grimdark one day, and I was like, could, could you just stop saying, like you've said Grimdark 97 times, like we get the picture, we need something more, we need like Whimsy Dark, and I was like, oh wait, that's me. That's um, what I bring to the table. Nice. The buttons will murder you, but they're damned adorable while they do it. <laughs> All right, and finally, what's coming next from you? Um, my, my, my book, Hit, is the one in April. Uh, they bought two books of that, so I'm working on the second one, uh, which is tentatively called Strike, and will involve blowing things up. Uh, they have to go through a lot of legal for these books, apparently. Um, and then I've got one uh, I just announced. I'm in this cool anthology that's out of Simon Pulse um, with editor Michael Strother and uh, Sean Hutchinson, who wrote... Death Day Letters and FML and Stages of Andrew Brawley did this thing called Violent Ends that is an anthology of a bunch of rock star YA authors that I'm super honored to be with, but there's stories surrounding a school shooting. Um, they're not about the kid who did the shooting. They're not about the aftermath. They're about all the different ways that people interact with this kid that didn't know there was a problem. Hmm. Um, so that'll be out next year. But that's that's that one's going to be pretty serious, I think. Um, yeah. I have one with my agent now. I'm hoping that she will sell soon. That's like a, that's like True Grit times Buffy the Vampire Slayer. 
um, about a half-slave, half-native girl in the 1800s Texas who becomes a monster hunter and joins the Texas, Ranger, Texas Rangers to hunt like chupacabras and stuff. Nice. I love your ideas. Your ideas are fantastic. I just I want to I want to see inside your brain sometime, not in a weird like monster opening. It's nothing but cake and boots. <laughs> cake and boots, awesome. So thank you so much, and and people can find you at whimsydark.com and also on your uh, Twitter, which is Delilah S. Dawson. Yep, I am that everywhere: Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, all the places. Fantastic. Easy. Thank you so much for joining us on the show today. Thank y'all so much for having me. Visit frogpants.com. Audio program so good, it's like you're there.